The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2016 from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. You know ads are bad, political ads are bad, in swing states, battleground states, you're inundated with the ads, but until you go and live in one, I was in Nevada a couple days ago, I'm in Illinois now, you don't realize, Nevada, that's actually a swing state for the presidential election, but even in Illinois, so many ads for congressional races, which I guess is okay since all the news is covering is that the Cubs are in the World Series, don't know if you knew that. Top story, the Lions at the Art Institute got new Cubs hats. So a couple takeaways from this deluge of political ads. One, spending on the presidential campaign doesn't matter because every ad against a Republican congressman or senator is basically an anti-Trump ad. All they try to do is tie the guy, usually the guy, to Trump. I saw Trump mocking a disabled reporter in three different ads against candidates who weren't even Donald Trump. By the way, let me pause for a second to put forth this supposition about why Trump mocking the disabled reporter gets so much play. It's a terrible thing to say, but he said so many terrible things. I think it has to do with the fact that he does the hand motions, so you don't need any context. It's just him looking ridiculous, him doing something that is so inherently offensive. I mean, To the extent that there's a little one plus one equals two with the they're bringing their rapists comments in, it does rely on a little bit more than the reptilian brain to make your point why that is offensive. But the mocking disabled reporter thing, it's just instantaneous how it registers. Also, just visually, it's a little more interesting than a mouth speaking. It is someone doing hand motions. And so this is why if you ever watch a news conference, anytime the speaker touches his head or her head or moves an arm, all the cameras go click because they want something dynamic. So anyway, that's why I think Trump mocking the disabled reporter is getting so much play. Now, one of the things, the DCCC, which is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, has this generic ad that it is airing in a lot of markets. And this here is one of those markets because incumbent Republican Bob Dold faces the guy who used to have his very seat in Congress, Brad Schneider. So here's the national ad that they are playing in this market. I want to say something to my congressman. I've been a Republican all my life. I get party loyalty. But there's loyalty to your country. And the things Donald Trump says about immigrants and, and women. Veterans. I mean, how can we put up with that? And they're also playing specific anti-Dold ads. Dold has totally disavowed Trump, by the way, said he will not be voting for him. But Schneider is still playing ads linking Dold to Trump because Dold attended an anti-Hillary fundraiser. Now, Dold could answer and does answer. Yeah, but it might have been called an anti-Hillary fundraiser, but it was just get out the vote in local elections. There was actually nothing that hurt Hillary except the title of it. It was at the North Shore Distillery. And the title of this campaign event was Beat Hillary at the Distillery. It actually included a distillery tour. And you know, afterwards, Dold was like, oh man, last cycle, they had that anti-Mitt Romney event at the pool hall, Beat Willard at Billiards. No one got mad at that. So my idea though, is you can have a really, really, really dishonest anti-Dold ad. It has to pretty much be a radio ad. And the announcer would say, Republican Bob Dole attended the RNC and enthusiastically backed Trump. 
Republican Bob Dole says Trump would make, quote, a great president. Don't send Bob Dole back to Washington. See how I trail off there? I'm actually saying Bob Dole, the former Kansas senator, is backing Trump. But, you know, if you just kind of swallow the last letter, it gets the point across. You know, Bob Dole, that guy has dined out on being named Bob Dole his whole life. Time to pay the piper, Dole. On the show today, I spiel about a Russian admiral who's not that admirable, and he has a smoking problem. But now, I'm joined by Dan Savage to talk about Jill Stein, monogamy, but most of all, Donald Trump's psychosexual profile. The gist is coming to California. We have a live show this Saturday at the Now Hear This podcast festival in Anaheim. Just a short drive away from downtown Los Angeles, we will be joined by special guests, including Kelly McEvers from NPR and comedian Andy Kindler. Still a few tickets left if you want to see the gist, Trumpcast, WTF, The Moth, and many other great shows. Head to the nowhearthisfest.com. That's nowhearthisfest.com. You can type in the promo code GIST to get 25% off your ticket. I am a straight-identifying, cisgendered, you might say, man who has been grappling with a very hard and impregnable question, dilemma, conundrum. His name is Donald Trump. He's running for president. So I turn to my advice columnist, Dan Savage. Hello, Dan. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm good. There are so many phenomena associated with Donald Trump that overlap things that you stand for and have been writing about and have been investigating for years. It's almost as if they constructed in a lab the perfect anti-Dan Savage candidate. And here he is. And he's orange. (laughs) Oh my God, it's it's terrifying. I, I'm floored and floored. Like for 25 years, I've sort of been working on talking straight guys off ledges around uh, feeling you know, feelings of entitlement, around feelings of rage and anger uh, about women and walking them back from that, lots of them. And then to have this monster flounce onto the stage and then consume the last really few weeks of the presidential campaign with this sexist, sexist, salty, horrifying, ragey, insecure garbage is just flabbergasting. So then do you think, and this, I guess, skips ahead a little bit, but do you think that overall this will have been a good lesson or a learning experience, or will it be the sort of thing where even racists, even people who harbor racist feelings can say, I'm not a Klansman, and all of these straight white guys will say, I'm no Donald Trump, and think that that's good enough? Yeah, I think you're going to see some of that. I'm more concerned that like climate change... Uh, assault is now a partisan issue. Yeah. And that's going to play out for 30 years. We're going to see, you you know, you've got the Giuliani's and the Gingrich's uh, from their moral high grounds defending this. And you've got rank and file Republican knuckle draggers, including Republican women defending this. Well, you do, but this is bending over backwards, to be fair to Republicans. You do see a lot of Republican defectors, and you did see people defecting based on this who hadn't even defected before. And by the way, if you hadn't defected before, you are defective. And some of those people, like John Thune um, and Deb Fisher of Nebraska, said, get out of the race, and then two days later said, well, that was my advice, but if you want to stay, I'll vote for you. Fine. (laughs) But we did see a number, right? We did see a number of people with the R next to their name object to a lot of 
of things about Trump and the fact that he lost all but one female Republican senator, for instance. And it doesn't tell me that the Republican Party is an area of uh, openness and tolerance and won't stand for anything. But it does identify which small part of the Republican Party are at least decent enough on this issue. Yeah, that small part of the Republican Party that's going to be purged like liberal Republicans were. (laughs) before or have to break off and form its own much smaller party. You know, I wish that little small part of the Republican Party, the the leadership, the Republican elite that still had some decency and a moral center could disband the Republican base and elect a new one, but they don't have that power. Trump isn't an aberration. He is like Obama said, he is the logical conclusion of the insanity and the irrationality uh, that the GOP elite had pumped into their electorate. Uh, injected into them like a poison, then they nominate that base that you poison nominates a poisonous candidate for president. How did you not see that coming? Are you one of those people who say, well, one thing that it does is it makes me sad about my fellow Americans. I always knew, I'm not naive, I knew that there were some people who were sexist, I knew there were some people who were horribly bigoted, I just didn't know that there were this many, at least a third of the population. I wonder, do you think about that? Because you, in your public life, you're a lightning rod, and people will <laughs> people will attack you left and right, and you've probably been attacked more than in most public figures uh, in a uh, sexist and homophobic manner. So does this expose that there are more knuckle draggers out there than even you believed? There are more knuckle draggers out there than, than we would. But you know what? I've been to Republican national conventions, so I knew that there were lots and lots of them, and I knew that they comprised the majority of the GOP base. Um, but you know, the knuckle draggers and the haters, they're not all on the knuckle draggy right. I spent the week, I criticized Jill Stein this weekend and spent the weekend getting tweets from lefty greens uh telling me that i should die of aids already so that was charming wow i wonder how uh, what's that venn diagram between i support (laughs) dr jill stein and her progressive agenda and yet this one guy needs to die of aids yeah they're just suspicious about that uh, hiv vaccine that we've been talking about for 20 years they have concerns trump's endorsement look he's a bigot he's a misogynist he's maybe a fascist let's talk about if he's a homophobe because he explicitly during his uh, acceptance speech, not only said, do we support, and he spelled it out because he wanted to get all the letters right, L-G-B-T-Q. Did I get any wrong? He spelled them all <laughs> out, right? And then and then when the crowd cheered, he said, it heartens me that you cheered. So that could be interpreted as a step. Yet on the other hand, he goes and picks Mike Pence to quote unquote shore up the uh, conservative Christian base. And this is a guy who believes in conversion therapy. Does Trump's assent do anything, say anything about the state of uh, gay rights? No, it doesn't. And and Trump is rapidly anti-gay. I heard you on uh, the just just a a few days ago, because I'm a daily listener, describe Trump as pro-gay or less anti-gay, and it's just not true. He assembled an evangelical advisory board that has people like uh, Rick Santorum on the Catholic wing of it and Michelle Bachman. He's promised to appoint justices who will undo marriage equality. He is as, and we, and they have, and he allowed to the Republican party to adopt the most rapidly anti-gay Republican platform ever. And that's saying something, that's an achievement, more rapidly anti-gay than the platform adopted at the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic and the panic about it, more rapidly anti-gay than the platform that Pat Buchanan got to shape. No, no, he is not pro-gay. What you see is some like lip service to tolerance. And what he promised, what Trump promised was that he will protect gay people from 
uh, hateful foreign ideologies, which is setting the bar so low. We will not we will not let people throw you off towers, but we will let the Mike Pence's of the world uh, torture LGBT kids to death until they commit suicide. We will undo your marriages. We will destroy your families, but we won't throw you out towers. Please vote for us. No. Do you think that that's part of his odd sexual uh, psychological makeup? I was listening to uh, Trump cast and Jacob was talking to, I think, Virginia Heffernan, and they couldn't figure out if he hated women, if he liked women, if he thinks he likes women. You know, what's going on with him psychologically, given his bus comments and then what we've heard about uh, all the accusations since? Uh, I've never really said this out loud before, so forgive me if I say this in an inarticulate way, but I have encountered over my life straight guys who hated women so much that you could almost sense that they would, if, if gay was a choice, they would make it. Uh-huh. But they're condemned to sit with both their hatred and disgust with women and their fear of women's bodies and their insecurity and their need for them, their desire for them, because they are their they're, they are who they're sexually attracted to. And the cognitive dissonance that that can introduce, you know, you see those guys who are much more comfortable in the company of men, but they need this thing. They need this woman. They need, and they need her as an object. They can't see her as a human being or see them as human beings. And, you know, is Trump gay? I don't think Trump is gay, but Trump would be a messy, misogynistic gay man if he were a gay man. Oh, this but is might interesting. Be, might so, be happier. Yeah. Because then he wants to interact with women at all, ever. So this is like, he's the straight version of Roy Cohn or someone like that who so hated the fact that he wanted to fuck this one kind of person that he kind of constructed his life in a twisted way around that. Now, the fact Absolutely. that... the fact that you know, the, we, we talk yeah. about internalized homophobia. Maybe yeah. internalized heterophobia is also a thing. And guys with internalized homophobia, they just hate themselves they hate other gay men i imagine straight guys with internalized heterophobia don't just hate themselves or how weak they feel when they're uh interacting with women that they're attracted to but they hate those women too yeah and maybe this kind of guy i don't know this is just us uh positing that this could exist maybe they're it would seem logical to me that they would most love the playboy model type. They would most love the type who either they perceive as not having flaws or at least they know that the, their, the other men will judge them as having an unflawed woman. Right, a status object of possession. But also, you know, I don't have access to Melania's head. I don't know what's going through her head. But women who style themselves as objects are going to attract men who regard women as objects. Right. And that actually is uh, in keeping with how his overall aesthetic taste and everything. Someone else has said this is the best. Right. And so I have to have it. And I would gild it if I could. If he could gold plate Melania, he probably would, just like his apartment. Now, you, you, in one of your advice columns, you gave advice, which wasn't asked for, which is how Hillary Clinton should answer the charge that she was charged with in the uh, second debate. Essentially, here are four women, and your husband did bad things to them. Although, in one case, it was uh, a 12-year-old rape survivor, and you, as a court-appointed lawyer, gave legal defense to uh, her attacker. Okay, let's put that aside for a second. And your advice... I thought was good, but she chose not to take it. And I think from a political standpoint, to get deep into the weeds of, like many marriages, our marriage has suffered cheating, but the cheater does the worse thing than the cheat E. But do you think as a political calculation, kind of sliding by that, sliding by the accusations with a sentence or two, rather than the full-throated, you're the cheater, I was cheated on, do you think that was the right political move? 
perhaps for Clinton. It was very satisfying for me to write that because watching her being beaten up for this thing that I don't think she should be beaten up for by this man who has no can't claim the moral high ground in attacking her for having affairs. And I just, you know, as a piece of rhetoric, you want to talk about affairs, Donald, let's talk about affairs. Uh, and then pivot back to him and, and lay it at his feet. If he's saying that someone is unfit to be president because her husband cheated, what does that say about him? But th- I guess there is a way. My question is, is there a way for even a person who has uh terrible politics and multiple marriages for you to look at their marriages and say that alone should not be something we condemn. Yes, absolutely. And, and we have to say that. And any Dem who denies that, and any R who denies that is an idiot. You know, Eisenhower uh, is believed to have had affairs. FDR certainly did. John F. Kennedy did. We don't elect people Pope when we elect people president. And that hunger for political power and political fame seems to be bundled up pretty closely with the need for, you know, sexual attention and sexual affirmation too, and uh, with larger sexual appetites. Uh, I don't consider that a disqualifier, but how someone conducts themselves, you know, someone who, you know, has had a couple of marriages and maybe has had uh, an affair or two, that's one thing. Someone who sexually assaults women and brags about it, that's something else. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about Jill Stein and, well, I don't know how much you've written about Gary Johnson. I think you're writing more about Jill Stein, advising your anyone who listens to you not to throw your vote away on Jill Stein. You have problems with not just her candidacy and what it could represent if it allows Trump in, but actually her policies. I have seen it framed that Jill Stein attacks gay rights activist Dan Savage. Jill Stein is supposedly so progressive, but look what her followers are saying to Dan Savage, who is uh, a leading light in the gay rights movement. And I said, yes, Dan Savage is that, but he's also a really bare knuckles brawler who has licked doorknobs to make a point. So (laughs) (laughs) can you take it, Dan? Can you take it? Are you happy to be the man in arena? And we shouldn't be saying, well, lay off Dan Savage because he's a gay rights activist. Uh, yeah, no one needs to lay off me. And I, you know, every morning when I look at my Twitter feed first thing and line up for punishment, I don't get the sense that anyone has laid off me. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to take a swing at Rick Santorum or Jill Stein or anyone else, they're perfectly free to take, uh, in Jill Stein's case, an ineffectual, uh, limp swing back at me. <laughs> do you, do you fear the Jill Stein, the possibility of Jill Stein drawing away votes today as much as you did a few weeks ago? Uh, I don't. Uh, you know, people are coming to their senses. Um, and I want to praise you for, you know, running to ground her policy proposals and taking her seriously, which is the quickest way to show Jill Stein up to be an idiot. I will also say that the last thing that I was talking to her about, which is quantitative easing to take away student debt, she has backed off that. And I think largely due to the criticism sure. that she got from me and some of my colleagues. I do want to say before we go, uh, I'm not an enemy of, of third parties. There's a socialist on the Seattle City Council uh, who sits there because of the enthusiastic, full-throated support of myself and my newspaper here in Seattle. We are four viable third-party candidates. Jill Stein ain't one. And the Greens can't demand that lefties and liberals take them seriously if they're not taking themselves seriously as a third party. There are 520,000 elected positions in the United States, and the Greens hold about 100 of them, which is a pathetic showing. You don't leap from 100 out of 520,000 to the presidency. Elect some congressmen, 
elect a governor, and then we can talk about who you're running for president. Given our agreement on this issue, do you think that what we're really saying is that you or I are not in our 20s? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I have a staff of, uh, I call them our millennial underlords here at The Stranger because they're under us, but they're somehow always bossing us around. Yeah. And yeah, there is there is a disconnect, but I'm glad to say and proud to say that all the millennials who work here at The Stranger who are passionately for Bernie are all excited now about voting for Hillary Clinton because uh, they're millennials, but they're not idiots. Yeah. And by the way, when I was in my 20s, I got to think I wouldn't be voting for Jill Stein. I just got to think that. When I was in my 20s, I didn't vote for Ralph Nader in 96 when he ran it, when he was the protest vote against uh, Clinton. I didn't vote for him. So uh, I like to think that my not being an idiot goes back decades. Yes, you have not being an idiot bona fides. Dan Savage, he is of the Savage Love advice column and of course the Savage Love cast. What a podcast. I was on it once talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. I believe I was the only Bengals content you've ever had. Is that right? You were and we were holding <laughs> in reserve in case that topic Yeah, in case ever the Bengals happens. come up again. People have weird fetishes, you know. Who am I to judge? All right, thanks Dan. <laughs> thanks Mike. And now the spiel. Today I want to talk about a famous Russian, Admiral Kuznetsov. I know the Russians are closer to our enemies than our friends, and I know that Admiral Kuznetsov is certainly a big part of the militarization of his country, and that that country's militarization is a big problem in the world. And yet when I read phrases to describe Admiral Kuznetsov, calling him rather geriatric, a 200-pound gorilla, that was according to the New York Times, the Telegraph, called him shiny on the outside, but pretty horrible on the inside, and went on to describe the admiral as manky. The Telegraph is an English newspaper. And the military website Forces TV calls Admiral Kuznetsov a smoke-bellowing beast. Is this constructive? Is this even humane? Well, it doesn't have to be humane because Admiral Kuznetsov is a ship, an aircraft carrier, in fact, the only aircraft carrier in the Russian Navy was a guy, but now he's a ship. Reminds me of Pinocchio. Wanted to become a real boy, the admiral became a thing. I was going to say an inanimate object, but the good, or shall I say, smoke-bellowingly bad admiral, made it through the English Channel last week in what Russian propaganda outlets like Sputnik News dubbed a show of force. The Times took a rather dimmer view, quote, known as more a threat to its crew than anything else. The ship led a battle group of eight vessels, including an ocean-going tug that traditionally accompanies the carrier, which has a reputation for breaking down. Now, this gets me to my larger point, which isn't actually a message of anti-ship shaming. That is true. We shouldn't do that. But I also wanted to spend a moment to talk about how strong a leader that Vladimir Putin is. Putin the man, not Putin the battleship. Putin is not strong. He's militaristic, but he's not strong. He presides over an economy where workers' wages are falling, and falling fast. The average Russian earns less than the average citizen of China, and that is a new development during Putin's reign. But why would you think of him as strong? Well, if you're Donald Trump, the impulses may be many, but it's not just Trump. Pat Buchanan says as much. The commentators on Fox, not all of them, but many of them, hold out Putin as the kind of example of strength that an American leader should aspire to. But Putin's really a puffed-up drunkard in the bar, always telling his boys, hold me back, hold me back. Now, sometimes he does take a swing at someone weaker. It's usually a sucker punch. But why would anyone look at that guy and say, I want to be in his posse? 
It's one thing to fall under the sway of a true strongman. Sometimes you don't have a choice. Often the weak are bumfuzzled by the strong. But to fall for an act like Putin's tells me about your weakness. The Admiral Kuznetsov is the Russian Navy's only aircraft carrier, as I said. It's in a class by itself. Literally, it's listed as an Admiral Kuznetsov class carrier, though the Chinese did buy the hull of an old Soviet carrier in that class and use it as their own. This ship launches 15 MiG fighters, which can't actually fuel up because they would weigh too much for the ship's rather crude launch system. The U.S. has 10 aircraft carriers. They each transport up to 60 fighters. How is the guy with one aircraft carrier that carries 15 airplanes less tough than the guy with 10 aircraft carriers with 60 planes? Is it willingness to use them? The Kuznetsov was chugging through the English Channel on its way to Syria. Syria, by the way, has been dropping barrel bombs, which are exactly what they sound like. Extremely crude and extremely indiscriminate weapons of war. Thankfully, no one is calling Assad strong for using these weapons, but why not? He totally seems to fit the exact criteria by which some dub Putin strong. Bob Dylan had this lyric about warriors whose strength is not to fight. I am not even being that esoteric. To me, strength is the capacity to defend oneself and to bend others to your will using sometimes force. But this definition of strong, which says strong should apply to Putin, doesn't take into account capacity or potential. It just counts the number of noses punched. By this measure, terrorists should be called strong. They inflict damage. Anyone who hurts anyone else should be called strong. Why is Putin so different from them? Is it because the shooters in San Bernardino, the shooter in Orlando, the bombers in Boston got captured? So Putin's strong because he's a bully and he's still standing. Well, I'll give him the fact that he's still standing. But if he continues to run his military at the expense of his country, if hungry pensioners no longer take more solace in Russian advances in Crimea than they take umbrage at being shafted, then his strength will evaporate. Now, Barack Obama has gotten a bunch wrong in the many theaters of engagement that the United States finds itself in. But, you know, the U.S. has killed a lot more bad guys, a lot more terrorists than the Russians have. The U.S. has taken fewer losses in Syria than the Russians have. And all the United States warriors have done their job in the service of a populace back home who are doing much, much better than the Russians are. And that is the superior kind of strength to possess. That's it for today's show. The ancestors of just producer Mary Wilson once attended the Let's Beat Warren Gamaliel at the Bar and Grill. Just producer Chris Berube's father reportedly attended a Beat Pierre at the Halifax County Fair event. Executive producer of Slate Podcast Steve Lichtai was at this event at a temple, Beat Dukakis over Latkes. And that event has been going on for quite some time, trying to undo the candidacy of Democrats for president. Because Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, his great-great-grandfather attended a Fellgrover over Passover at the same temple. The gist, our forebearers were much more oriented toward preventing vice presidents from attaining office. I cite specifically the attack Shiler Colfax with a poleaxe event. It was a simpler time. Umpuru depuru dupuru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>